for the... What is nothing? Yeah, that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh, hi. Welcome to That's Deep, bro. My voice just cracked like a little boy. Thanks for downloading this episode. Uh, crazy week. A L- lot of shit going on. I'm not going to talk about any of it. Because <laughs> I think it's, it's we've discussed it enough, right? Haven't we been on Instagram and seen enough pictures of what's happening? Let's talk about some other stuff. I feel like, I feel like that's why you guys download this podcast. Because shit, there, there's enough talk of the everyday. We got to go deep on life, bros. That's how you do that. Okay, so first of all, first of all, some business. I'm touring stand-up. The main Mother Goddess tour continues. Uh, firstly, though, on the 12th of, of, of February, um, your mom's house, we have sold out the first show, the 7 o'clock show. We have added a second show, the 9 p.m. show. So buy your tickets to that. 9 p.m. show will be different than the 7 p.m. show of your mom's house. Yoshi Obayashi joins us. We don't have guests anymore in your mom's house. Um, for like the last couple of years, we've just stopped doing that, mostly because our old studio didn't really permit it. There wasn't enough space to have guests. And also, it was we, we do the show out of our house. So, you know, we have a baby. We don't want people coming in. How's your baby? Touching your baby, touching your stuff. It's gross. Uh, February 17th, I'm at the Hollywood Improv. I'm headlining the 8 p.m. show. Uh, my friend Marilyn Rice Cobble will joining as well. February 18th, Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. I'm headlining the 8 p.m. show there. April 13th through 15th, Brea Improv in Brea, California. Obviously, as opposed to Brea, Canada. May 4th through 5th, Phoenix, Arizona, Stand Up Live. May 19th through 20th, Jew Dork Titties, New York City at Gotham Comedy Club. And then um, June 1st through 3rd, I just added Denver Comedy Works, my first time at the Denver Comedy Works in downtown, not the other location. I'm super excited. And then June 16th and 17th, San San Francisco at the um, Punchline Comedy Club. If I sound like I'm stammering, and struggling it's because i haven't i haven't slept in the last two nights and i'll i'll get into that nonsense um as to why but it has a little something to do with my obsession with shows about nobility and royalty (laughs) oh also other announcements um you've asked for a playlist of all the music i play on this show i have built a spotify playlist but the user is your the username, whatever the fuck it is, the hand, who knows, the profile, just search for it, is your mom's podcast, not your mom's house, just your mom's podcast. Um, and it's called TDB Ultimate Bro Jams. And I put all, mostly, I think all the songs that I played on this show so you guys can um, listen to it on Spotify for free. Well, I mean, not free because you have to listen to ads and how annoying is that? But, you know, come on. 
Come on. It's a pricey pay for excellent taste and music. <laughs> also, I've added this podcast to Google Play. Uh, we've had some, we, me, I have had some requests for that. So it is now on Google Play. It is on uh, SoundCloud. It is on an RSS feed. It is everywhere and anywhere, hopefully. If, if you guys know another platform that this show is not on, go ahead and email me at thatsdeepbropodcast at gmail.com. Okay. God, enough business already. I feel like I've been, I wait all week to talk to you guys. Um, and then there's it's just business. Oh, God. <laughs> so dumb. Okay, let's, uh, let's get this party started. All right, guys, let's fucking, let's rip it. Let's rip. Welcome to That's Deep, bro. It's me, Christina Pajitsky. I am recording this episode on YouTube. <laughs> it's crazy. It's I never thought I would do this, but now we have this wonderful studio. And I figured, why not put it up um, on, on, on YouTube? And if you guys want to watch me talk to myself, um, I usually do it in the dark, actually. I don't have the lights on. But I figure you need to see me. I usually do the show in the dark. I just kind of stare at the soundboard and I ramble. But now I'm going to ramble to you and you can watch this. I'll put this up on my personal page on uh, on YouTube. There you go. So I, I don't I can't play the intro song on YouTube because it'll get, you know, torn down the minute you put anything up that's remotely proprietary. But I open with uh, the Beastie Boys looking down the barrel, which is like it's on Paul's Boutique which is my least favorite album. And I know that people love Paul's Boutique and they rave about it. I don't like Paul's Boutique. I feel like it's too uh, frat boy, Tiva douchebag for me. And I remember in the 90s when, when that album came out, it's like every D-bag frat guy was into Paul's Boutique. But I do love that fucking song. And if you want your mind blown and if you want to feel like a total loser, just know, just know that the Beastie Boys were 24 years old when they recorded Paul's Boutique. What were you doing when you were 24 years old, not creating a legacy like these dudes have? 
had one of them is dead, which is bananas to me. So there we go. Okay, here we are. I, uh, I, it's Monday morning again. My husband is gone. He's touring aggressively right now. And I normally don't record this show on a Monday. Usually we do your mom's house at this time. So I figured I'll just come in here and do this show. But I haven't slept in, uh, in like two nights. Um, not because of baby jeans. Usually it's, it's the kiddo that keeps me up. But because I'm currently watching not one, not two, but three shows about royal families. Um, my dirty little guilty secret is that I love a monarchy. I, I love that shit. I studied in England for a year and yes, I visited Windsor Castle. Yes, I visited Buckingham Palace. Do I have a mug that I drank coffee out of from the Queen's Royal Jubilee? I do. And I, I love it all. I'm an Anglophile. Um, so I'm currently watching Versailles. That's how they say it. Versailles on Netflix. And The Crown I've just begun as well. Um, and I'm also watching Victoria. Victoria, about Queen Victoria and her Prince Albert. <laughs> and that one's on, uh, I think, PBS or something, and I buy it on on, um, on the iTunes. But uh, so I'm, I'm watching these shows, and, you know, it's interesting because my mother had a, an obsession with royalty, and I think in the 80s that was really big, right? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Robin Leach had that show, and Reagan was in office, and basically being a materialistic douchebag was like the height of your awesomeness. You know, the eighties were, it's a very materialistic era. And my mother, uh, you know, my mother was a Hungarian immigrant. And so everything in our home was covered to preserve it forever and ever. And we had these wonderful couches that were like velour, uh, they were velour patchwork. So it was varied shades of like brown and tan, um, and there was like a love seat and a, a couch, a proper couch. And I think these were my mother's most prized possessions in life because I, I never actually got to sit on either couch bare without, without a, um, a barrier. You know, my mother put down sheets on both couches. Um, God forbid, because you don't want to wear down what's good because you need to pass it on to your future generations. And she did, by the way, keep one of those couches for me until I left for college in 1994, which by then the couch had like been in a, like it, it was in the garage. And so, you know, water had seeped in through a storm and it had been ruined, but she was so proud that she could, you know, hand me the legacy of the brown velour couch. So, Every, you know, I forget it was Saf- maybe Saturday nights was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, a, a, a sh- basically what Cribs became later. And Robin Leach, this English guy, would make you feel, you know, you were made to feel like these people le- led substantially better lives than you. That's the whole point of the show. It's like, because look at all this shit that I have. I got, you know, um, this this whole bathroom is made out of gold leafing and, and, um, and, you know, Cribs is retarded, too. Like, they, they have all these different whatever. I got five on a pair of sneakers, and that means that my life is great. So my mother and I would watch Robin Leach uh, make us feel like shit because we lived in a crummy little, you know, dingy uh, two-bedroom apartment in an, in an apartment complex in the San Fernando Valley full of immigrant single mothers. <laughs> and uh, it was just so surreal watching. My, my mother just loved these shows about wealth and opulence 
And Princess Diana was the shit. I mean, you couldn't get away from Lady Lady Die, Lady Die, Lady Die. And Lady Die was not a commoner. That's the myth is that you think that she was just plucked out of obscurity to to marry Prince Charles. She wasn't. She was actually Lady uh, Diana Spencer or whatever her title was they they're nobility you know she was she wasn't raised in like a public school or she she was you know bred to marry some wealthy dude and you know lead an incredibly uh, privileged life so but uh, the the mythology was that she was plucked out of of you know relative obscurity and and she got this fairy tale wedding which was I mean, shit, if you didn't watch the royal wedding as a kid, you, you better get your life because that, that was like the biggest event ever. And she had this wonderfully garish, long white wedding gown that trailed, you know, down the entire aisle of Westminster Abbey. And, you know, the idea being that if you, if as a, as a humble commoner, you could have a piece of this royalty, if you could just take part in, of, of the, the shine, the gleam, that emulated off of these royal people that it would, you know, rub off on you and maybe you would feel feel the the, the wonderfulness of it. Uh, because uh, royalty, the, these people are born into the gig, right? The idea is that God ordains Louis XIV or Prince, Princess Victoria, the Queen Victoria, whatever, uh, you're born into this and that's the existence you have to have as, as, as being royalty. But... Uh, by the way, so I, I I watch all these shows, um, and uh, what I what I, ha- I had an epiphany about them this week because you know here I am watching Versailles, and it's Louis the Fourteenth and his gay brother who's sleeping with the guy who's a traitor, Chevalier, you know, and they have all these great names and. And all I can think about is how bad they all smell because nobody brushed their teeth and nobody took showers, but everybody's banging everybody else every two seconds and everybody's dying of diseases. I mean, my God, you, you had typhoid, uh, you had measles, you, you survived all these plague things. Nobody had Tylenol. You know, they, they bloodlet you if you had some kind of sickness, which is which obviously makes it worse now we know. Like you can't... And by that, I mean they would cut like uh, cut your leg or something and drain your blood, thinking that the bad blood would come out and then your sickness would be cured. But we know now that's horribly, horribly inaccurate. But you suffered. Like, can you, could you even imagine what it would be like to have a toothache in, in the time of Queen Victoria or uh, of Louis XIV? Like to, uh, you know there's no such thing as a painkiller. They just probably yanked the tooth out of your head or, and you just endured an awful toothache for days and days and days. Childbirth. Fuck. So many women died in childbirth, uh, because of whatever they didn't have. I mean, they don't have any, um, soap or antiseptic. I don't even think, I mean, I don't even know how people did anything. Shit. I mean, I cut my finger. I have a hangnail that I pulled out too hard and I've been crying about that for a week. I couldn't imagine giving birth without uh, drugs or antiseptic. Jeez. So uh, I'm watching these shows. I'm watching these shows. And um, I start watching the dysfunctionality of them. And I remember, uh, well, no, first of all, I'm watching Queen Victoria, the Victoria show. 
And her mother was a controlling, narcissistic POS who had a man in her life that was a narcissistic, controlling POS that controlled her, meaning the mother. And then the mother and the guy controlled Victoria. And Victoria couldn't take it anymore and married Albert and then, you know, cast out the, the abusive mother and this and that. And, uh, and Louis, too, has a horrendous, you know, childhood. Of course, some prostitute has sex with him when he's like 10 years old. Uh, horrible horrible lives and uh i got to thinking uh that just because they're royals doesn't mean they're not white trash they're just white trash with a lot more stuff because you know every family has their stuff but then you mix in inbreeding which a lot of these people were marrying cousins and second cousins and uh you know nieces nephews they're all they all marry each other to keep the bloodline going and when you think about it, like they're really just like everybody uh, with all these problems with a borderline mom and a drunk uncle and, you know, the, mo- the molesty grandfather, um, except they their job, their family business is to run countries. <laughs> but the illusion because of the stuff and the grandeur and the justification of being born uh, by God ordaining you with the power to run a country is like, oh, well, it kind of legitimizes them and it makes them seem special, right? Like, oh, but, but, but no, this guy is a king. He's better than me. That's You're supposed to think that they're better than you and they just are not. And in fact, I was watching, I was obsessed with Diana a while back. And if you watch her interviews with Martin Bashir that she did uh, before she died, obvi, uh, she kind of, clearly was i mean i I, and knowing borderlines because my mother had borderline personality disorder and i listened to diana talk the way she talks um and she's very waif you know even physically waifish there's there's you know she had an eating disorder god poor poor woman she was very tortured i think but uh but there is a type of borderline called the waif there's like the witch whatever the way and the waif is um a victim and if you listen to her answers and how she carries herself and how she sort of like views her role as to give love and just to be love. And she was, I mean, I don't want to uh, diminish what she accomplished because Lord knows she is more useful. She was more useful than probably a lot of other uh, people of royal descent. I mean, Jesus, she was going and helping uh, whatever landmines. What is it? Kids with landmines in their backyards. I don't fucking know. But she gave a shit about people, and that was nice. And people really liked her, and that was nice. But um, but yeah, she was mentally ill for sure. Because she was like, oh, they're all out to get me. That was the thing. It was like the queen's out to get me. They're all. It's a big conspiracy. Like, all right, no, I don't know about that. Seldom, seldom is everybody out, you know, to get you. I don't fucking know about that. I don't know about that. So anyway, that's my big epiphany that the the royals are a bunch of um, dysfunctional white trash people. They are no better than you, you or me, um, and everybody's fucked up. <laughs> everybody's messed up. All families are messed up. Doesn't matter if God ordained you to run um, nations. You're still a douchebag. Everyone's, all of us are struggling to uh, to hold it together and to make the next generation better. Uh, so there you go. And I also like the, uh, the French court is much nicer. It's, you know, it's a little more exciting than the English royalty, the English people. I, I love England, by the way, but 
they're very uptight. They're very proper. And, and the French, even the men dress like, you know, very ornate, like ruffles. And the men wear little heels and they have long curly hair. And, you know, they're very, everybody's screwing everybody else. And like, it'd be nuts. Like the king would just make you have sex with him. Like no matter who you were, what you did. Like if you were just like a chambermaid and he came in and he'd be like, you just have to do me right now. And then you totally have to do... The king was so crazy. I don't know if I could last very long in that job. I'm probably, I probably get fired like day one. Oh no! But then the only other choice is death, and that's another thing. Like either you are just poor and living in the gutter, or you are like in the palace. I think that's it. I, I think <laughs> I was feudal law, right? Like so, you're a slave or or a nobleman or noblewoman. Oh boy, and especially for oh boy, the women's rights. No such thing back then. All you could do was bang a, a wealthy dude. That was it. God forbid if you're ugly. I think it's still that way today, but whatever. Uh, not entirely. I, that's not true. That's, but it is, it is good to be attractive, definitely. I mean, uh, that's just such a blessing. To be attractive, to be born in this uh, country or any first world country is like the best thing ever. Um, yeah. And having money. Those are all wonderful things. Don't poo-poo money. So I also had a uh, revelation this week. Uh, I discussed it briefly on your mom's house. A very seemingly small thing happened, but it's actually quite big when you think about it. I, um, I came to the conclusion that I was ordering a coffee at Starbucks that was hurting my stomach. And I started doing this because I became convinced that um, I had to drink my coffee through a straw Otherwise, I would stain my veneers. And as you guys know, um, I've talked about the process of getting a, a veneer. It's terrible. It's so fucking painful. And whitening your teeth is painful. It's just like such an arduous process that once you do it, like I really don't want to do it again. Um, so I got hooked on this idea that I had to drink coffee through a straw, um, but I couldn't drink a hot beverage through a straw. And I don't know where I came up with that conclusion, but in my mind, I was like, no, it's gotta be, it's gotta be cold. Um, so I started ordering tall iced Americanos with a splash of half and half that became my drink. And, and I would drink them and I'd be like, great check. I got that box checked off. Like I'm not, I'm not making my veneer stain. Like, this is really good. This is really good. And then I drink it and I would just get like, really gnarly stomach pains from it. <laughs> just, it would just torture my, my stomach and my bowels. And I, um, and I get real cranky too and like super fired up at my husband and I'm real snappy and, and I'd have to, um, consciously control my reactions to stuff. Cause I'm like, you're just, it's just the coffee talking. Like I would have to talk myself down, um, from whatever insane dialogue I had going in my head about what was happening around me. And, and, you know, I've been doing this to myself for like, I don't know, two months now. And I was driving with Tommy and, and the kiddo, we were coming back from the mall or some shit like a week ago. And I, I turned to my husband and I go, I I can't order these anymore. I can't drink this shit anymore because it, it makes me crazy and it hurts. Like I'm hurting myself. And we started laughing and he, and he's like, why don't you just order the warm one? Cause I know that the warm latte doesn't hurt my stomach as much, whatever. So I'm going to start doing that with a straw. Like, why couldn't I just put the straw in the hot drink? 
but you know, we had a good laugh and I, and then I thought to myself, well, why am I, why am I beholden to drinking, uh, the, the drink that tortures my stomach and that hurts me? It actually physically hurt me and psychologically was hurting me. Cause I was like freaking out in my head cause the caffeine was too strong. And I'm like, you know, losing my, my mind, um, because of this idea of like keeping my teeth white. It was just such a, anyways, and I started going through my life and thinking of all the other rigid things I've been sticking to. Rigid thinking is what this is called because I brought this up to my therapist and, uh, and apparently it is known as rigid thinking. It's where you say things like, I should do X, Y, or Z, or I have to have it this way. Um, and the problem with rigid thinking or why it's called that is that, um, it's, it's really illogical. It's not beneficial to your joy on a daily basis. And just because you want something to be a certain way, doesn't mean it has to be a certain way. And in the, the way of that, of thinking that way is very illogical. Imagine if you were to say it has to be rainy or it has to be sunny tomorrow. I, I have to have the weather be perfect. Otherwise I will be upset. You can't control most of the elements um, in life like that. Excuse me. So <laughs> I started thinking about all the other things I'm like oddly rigid about. And um, I'm going through this thing right now where I've decided that I, I grew up using Aquafresh. That's my brand because my uh, wacky immigrant parents, my dad loves Aquafresh. And I, my husband makes fun of me because he's like, oh, that's such an immigrant brand. Like, Americans don't use that. Americans use Crest or Colgate or whatever. But I love Aquafresh. It's just it's just the Euro trash thing I grew up on, and I especially like the um, the extra whitening formula because when I brush my teeth, it really hurts. Like I feel it burning, and I like that. And then I I like to I feel so much cleaner. Like I tried using Crest and Colgate after I use Aquafresh Ultra Whitening and it's like fucking dog shit. Like it just, it feels like you're mashing around sand. Like it's, it doesn't even, it doesn't hurt. So I, therefore it doesn't really clean my teeth and I just feel like it's not doing shit. So I ordered these on Amazon, by the way, use my Amazon banner. If you're shopping on there, go to uh, that's the April podcast, click on the banner at the bottom of the homepage. But so I ordered on Amazon and I spent like $18 on like four or six boxes of, no, sorry, six boxes I bought of this Aquafresh Ultra Whitening. And it came and we tried it and it wasn't the right kind. I, I had purchased the wrong flavor. Okay. Now, Tom didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. We've been using it for about the same time, like two months now. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate the way this tastes. It's not the right uh, flavor and I don't feel like it's harsh enough. I don't like, it's not hard enough, you know? And I'm, I'm like, but, but my problem is I won't just throw it away and order the new one because I spent $20 on toothpaste. And in my mind, my rigid thinking goes, yeah, but that's $20 on toothpaste. Who does that? Who does that? That's an insane amount of money on toothpaste. And you can't just throw something away because you don't like the taste of it. And what are you going to do? Just throw it away and then buy more? Like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're Queen Victoria? That you just have, you know, millions of crowns to throw away on toothpaste? And 
Yeah. And I had that initial thought and I brought it up to Tom and I was like, dude, I, I can't throw it away. Cause like I, he's like, this flavor's terrible. You got <laughs> like, we have, we both had a come to Jesus on it. Like you're right. Why haven't we said anything to each other? This is ridiculous. And he, he had to give me permission to throw away $20 worth of toothpaste and start over and buy the kind that we like. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting that I, I a, it took me two months of doing something to myself that I didn't enjoy at all. And then B, I needed permission to spend $20 <laughs> to replace a toothpaste. And so, yeah, I brought this up to my shrink because I'm like, this has to mean something. And it's it's indicative of and I, it's indicative of all the small things that you do and you don't even imagine the possibility of something being better, different, more to your liking. You know, like, um, I don't know if you guys get massages, but I love to get a massage. It's like the only time I can really relax and get out of the house and sleep. I can't, I can't sleep in my house. Cause like, even if I'm hearing the kids here, I can't fucking relax, but I go, I get massages and, um, you ever have like one masseuse that you're like, oh, this is the best. It doesn't get any better than Tracy. She, she gets me. We get each other. This is like the best. Oh my God, it's the best. But then one day Tracy calls in sick and you're like, no, this isn't going to work. I need Tracy. She's my girl. This is the one I go to. I can't not have her because it's not going to be good. I know I'm not going to spend my money and my time going to something. I know. And then you get the other masseuse, right? And then you get uh, Carol. And Carol's like way better than Tracy. Holy shit. And had you not had that one thing happen, Tracy didn't show up for work, then you never would have gotten to Carol. And you get your mind blown. And all of a sudden, your horizons expand. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why was I locked in to this one rigid way of being? And I think, and that's, you know, that's obviously a much smaller scale example, but I think this translates to a lot of things in life where you are convinced that there's only one way of doing things, right? I know that when I um, had my son, I was convinced because I didn't want to be like my mother that I had to spend as much time with him as possible. I was going to pretty much, you know, more or less try to be a stay-at-home mom and be perfect at it and because I don't, you know, I had this thing in my head and of course that didn't work for me because I, I, I can't do it 24-7 alone, especially Jesus Christ. <sighs> um, but I got that in my head and it, it fucks with you because you you realize that life is not really that cut and dry. Like it's it doesn't really work that way. And um, anyways, I, I encourage you to think of all the small things and maybe even the bigger things in your life where... Uh, you're stuck in a pattern of thinking and you don't even realize it until something else happens. And you're like, oh yeah, that was so much better. Like, wait, wait, why have I been doing it this way? You know, why the fuck have I been? And it happens to me constantly. (laughs) Like I'm constantly blown away um, by the little things. And mostly because I'm cheap. Like I'm really, I don't like spending money on certain things, you know, but then you get the better thing and you're like, oh, why did I? I can't believe I used to spend, I, like, I used to just only go to H&M or, like, Forever 21 for t-shirts. And then I bought, like, um, a James Purse t-shirt, which they're, they're so good. They're so expensive, but they're so good. And now I can't go back. I'm hooked on the expensive stuff. So there you go. Okay, so let's get into um, a couple of topics from last week. I got this really funny email from a guy named John. <laughs> uh 
Well, maybe I'll do this. I'll, I'll do it next week. Would you mind talking more about how absurd corporate speak is and how it's running the way people communicate with each other? <laughs> I'm really hoping you wouldn't mind having a powwow to crystallize our thoughts and circle our wagons around illuminating the origins of this nonsense and hopefully find a way to be impactful in the fight to 86 this jargon from the English, English language. At the high school level, I have students referring to themselves as, quote, go-getters, spark plugs, self-starters, and other annoying titles. This is disturbing and has to stop. I am positive you have the right core competencies to get genuine buy-in from the bros. I am drinking the Kool-Aid and feel empowered by the thought of an episode around this. I feel like it will move the needle on the movement away from corporate speak. There are lots of moving parts, but if anyone can think outside the box and help get our ducks in a row, it's you. <laughs> Typing this email made me hate myself. <laughs> John. <laughs> uh, that was so brilliant. I had to share that email because it was really fucking funny. Yeah, corporate speak, drilling down, putting a pin in it, circling back, circling wagons, being impactful, um, and now alternative facts. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it's all versions of mind control. It's all versions of, um, new speak. I don't know if you've read a little book called 1984. George Orwell wrote it a long time ago. And he who controls language or she who controls language controls thought. When you control a thought, you control minds. When you control minds, you have the power. And that's why language is very um, powerful, impactful. <laughs> uh, it's very important. And there have been many a philosopher um, that have, have dealt with this subject. I'm trying to think. I know Derrida was a big one about it. Even things like um, how we speak about things through... Um, the word is called ocular centrism. There is a guy who wrote... Martin Jay wrote this book about how language is structured to be, uh, how language is structured because of our, because of the predominance of sight. Because we use sight as our primary sense and not hearing, touch, sound, we say things like, ah, I see what you mean, you know, um, and things like that. I can't remember all the examples, but you, but you know what I'm saying? I see what you mean or, you know, um, it looks like blah, blah, blah. And in doing so, his argument was, is that it skews whatever. It'll skew your appearance if it's based. It'll skew your your thinking because everything's sight-based. And if we had a dialogue that was based on other senses, it would open up our language and blah, 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 blah. But basically, who controls the language controls the mind. And which is really interesting that this comes up at a time where Donald Trump has just, Jesus Christ, I mean, it made my asshole pucker to see that guy... Um, come out and tell us that the numbers were skewed on who, who attended the inauguration and um, <clears throat> that there are, quote, alternative facts, alternative facts, which are not facts at all. Alternative facts are often referred to as lies or disinformation. And the making up of words, it's just another way uh, to convey an alternate truth. <laughs> I mean, look, we've seen it. In the 90s, with political correctness, people tried to help marginalized groups by saying things like African-American or, you know, French-American, Hungarian-American, Korean-American. And I don't know that... And it did. I think it did help to some extent because people developed a sensitivity to 
people other than themselves. And even now, you know, as much as we make fun of the non-binary pronoun stuff, the Zimzer, um, transgendered thinking, all this, this like uh, fluidity of gender and this, it's another way of just opening people's minds to, to alternate realities, to realities outside of their own uh, paradigm or whatever, but it can also be used for evil <laughs> as we see, as we see now, not evil, but also, uh, it can be used to create alternate realities <laughs> and corporate jargon. Um, I think part of it is that people like to feel special. They like to feel like they know a cool new word, you know, um, they like to feel like they know what they're talking about and they like to sound cool because let's face it, the corporate world isn't known for its excitement or variety. You know, the biggest, the coolest thing that happens is Friday when you get to wear a pair of jeans. So I think in the corporate world, when someone comes up with a new um, spirit crushing, mind controlling phrase, they don't think of it that way. They think of it as like a cool new way of saying, instead of saying, uh, let's pause on that, they go, let's put a pin in it, which that one makes me want to fucking explode into a million pieces. Cause I don't, I don't understand these phrases. And it's also a way when you think about it of masking what's really being said. George Carlin talked about this uh, constantly in his standup. Um, you know, by not calling handicapped people crippled or calling, not calling, um, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder when it's shell shock, when, when people come back from battle and in softening language, you soften the idea. You take away the severity sometimes of things. Imagine that the word crippled really, really, uh, it tells you what's going on, doesn't it? And, but now we say, I don't even think we say handicapped. Now we say differently abled. And that's another way of softening, softening what's happening, which is good and it's bad. I guess it's more sensitive to people who do have these things, afflictions, whatevers. Um, on the other hand, it desensitizes you to the truth of things. And that's, that's why language can be very dangerous. Um, and I know there's a lot of reclaiming of words, right? Um, black people may use the N-bomb amongst themselves as a way of reclaiming it. A lot of women use the word bitch, call each other, hey, bitch, hey, bitch, to reclaim it. Or, you know, pussies being thrown around a lot now, too. Um, and the idea is if you, if you say it, if you reclaim it, you take the sting out of it, you take the fun out of it for the person who doesn't like you using it. And uh, I don't know if that's true. I feel like it always encourages the wrong people to use the word <laughs> when people casually throw around and bombs and you know, whatever. We make fun of it on your mom's house, but that's for a very specific reason. Holy shit. Ah, uh, God. It is fucking spirit crushing though, isn't it? You know, it's funny. I, um, I have this, I, not now, but I, I used to have agents and managers that would talk and agent and manager speak. And I was like, I, I don't understand what you're fucking saying. You know, they would, they would, well, we're going to circle the wagons. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Could you explain to me what circle the wagons are? I, I had a manager actually say that to me. Well, we're going to circle. I go, what the fuck does that mean? Does that mean you're going to call me tomorrow, next week, next month? Does it mean you're going to do anything? What's, what is happening? Anyway, that's my two cents on corporate speak. So thank you for that. And also last week, um, a gentleman wrote in about male daddy issues. Very interesting topic. And, uh, um, Really cool. So I started uh, inquiring, what are male daddy issues? Um, and I talked to my husband about it, and 
he says some of it manifests itself. Okay, let's meaning if you grew up without a father figure or maybe with a crappy father figure. Um, how does that change you? How does that alter you as a male adult? And um, my husband says that for a lot of boys, they grow up to be men who are younger men who seek male approval through other ways. Maybe you join gangs. Maybe you... Uh, maybe you get in the military. I feel like some, some dudes like that as a way of male bonding. Um, but also because there's no template for, for, um, behavior for right behavior. You have no template for how to have a relationship, how to be a dad. Um, and that's really, you know, Hey, I struggle with that as a, as a mother, as a mother and a, a wife. Cause I, my mother was mentally ill. So I don't even know what that looks like. And I struggle with it constantly. Um, so there was an article I read on the good, good, the good men project.com, uh, six signs. You're a man with daddy issues. And this guy wrote this great article, um, about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Interesting because, um, you know, Vader's not a cool dude. He's kind of an asshole dad, not a good person. And there's that great scene, I don't remember which of the 20,000 movies, where uh, Luke knows, hey, this is my father, right? I'm your father, we know that. And Vader asks Luke to join him on the dark side of the force. And now Luke is faced with going to daddy, getting that sense of belonging. I'm sure he's always longed for, wanted, you know, the acceptance that's finally, finally, finally here or turning his back on the father and becoming who he is going to be. And maybe also reconciling the parts of himself that are Vader-esque, Vader-like, the, the dark side, and, and going, okay, yeah, I have those dark elements, but I am not my father. And it's such a profound... I mean, there's so many daddy issues in the Star Wars movies, <laughs> but they're just wonderful. They're, they're fantastic just for the daddy issues. And I think that's why so many men, you know, who grew up watching it. It's like, this is the movie they're going to pass down to their sons. Like, I can't wait to show my kid the Star Wars movies. I mean, my husband feels that way because it's there's something very, uh, you know, seminal, very fucking primal about this father-son bond in the stories in Star Wars. So Luke says, no, go fuck yourself, dad, and becomes his own man. And that's a struggle, right? That's Luke Skywalker's struggle. So, but what's interesting in that story is that all of us that have parents that maybe we're not, uh, we don't want to associate with, we don't want to be like with me and my mother, I don't want to be, obviously she was mentally ill and I'm not (laughs) yet, hopefully. And, um, but a lot of her behaviors, you know, you do pick up some stuff just because I, you know, I was an only child and I was alone with this person and there's a lot of things that I had to unlearn. Um, but the, the whole thing is that you can't, uh, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't just go, I'm not my mom. I'm not my dad at all. Because then you're hating yourself a little bit, right? Because then you're going, yeah, but the, then you, you hate yourself because they are part of you. There are some things that about my mom that were really fantastic that I'm glad I have now. Um, so yeah, part of the demon is admitting that you are part of the shit heel parent that you don't like, and you may have picked up some of their bad traits, 
along with some of the good ones. And the key is to work out those bad traits so that you don't pass them on to your children and you don't become a Darth Vader uh, to your spouse too. Okay, so here's six signs that you ha- that you're a man with daddy issues. By the way, there's a lot of men that listen to this show. It's so funny because my agent is constantly bringing me female products like period panties and shit. I'm like, you don't understand. A lot of my listeners are male. Most of the emails I get are from dudes. I don't know why. I'm glad for it. I love it. But my God. Okay. So here you go, guys. Six signs that you're a man with daddy issues, Vishnu's. Okay. We develop dysfunctional coping habits, this writer writes. Number one, you're aloof. You focus your mind on things other than what's going on in your relationships. You miss cues from those around you that your relationships need your attention. Oh, that's interesting. Number two, you're unconcerned. It's difficult for you to walk a mile in someone else's shoes because you're not comfortable in your own. You find it impossible to relate to others' experiences emotionally. What concerns you most is how something impacts you. Interesting. So... It sounds like empathy is tough to come by, which makes sense because you weren't given empathy. So maybe you don't know how to give it to somebody else. Interesting. It sounds like emotional stuff is is the biggie. Mm, mm, mm. Number three, you're disrespectful. It's not on purpose. You just don't have a clue how to show respect. Interesting. And, you know, I think they, they say that little boys learn how to be men Uh, by their dads, right? The daddy teaches them respect. And that's why teenage boys, especially, it's important to have like a strong father figure because don't they, that's when a a teenage boy challenges his dad, like physically, because now they're grown up, they're physically getting strong and they want to challenge and they want to go out and they want to fuck shit up. But it's the dad's role to be like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, motherfucker, I'm the big dog and you're just the little dog here. Mm. Okay, number four. Now, this might pertain to the email from last week of the gentleman who wrote in about this very problem. Number four, you're commitment phobic. You learned early in life not to rely on people. God damn it. They were unreliable. They always disappointed you and that hurt. To avoid being being hurt, again, you avoid commitments. Now, motherfucker, isn't that everybody? God damn it. I learned that one too the hard way. Am I a guy with daddy issues? (laughs) I feel like I'm, I feel like I relate to all of these. Wait, what's going on? Number five, you're irresponsible. You were never able to figure out how to do things right. It seemed like the rules always changed rather than be blamed for things going wrong when you do everything to try to get them right. It's easier. Just say, Hey, it wasn't my fault. You're irresponsible. Interesting. Interesting. Number six, you're unaffectionate. If you were touched at all as a child, it was to have the crap beat out of you. Showing affection by touching someone doesn't come naturally for you and feels awkward. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few men with them. Now, interestingly enough, uh, some of the greatest fathers and husbands I've known grew up with really shitty dads. And a lot of the times, and I would say most of the time in the men that I've known with shitty dads, is they end up becoming... They grow up to be men who want to do the exact opposite of, of what was done to them, and they become stellar husbands and stellar dads, um, and that, that's probably through years of work, you know what I mean? Um, and so the guy says, though, the writer says, look, 
it sounds like you're, it, there's no hope. There is hope. Overcoming these issues in my life started with a willingness to forgive my dad. Isn't that always what they fucking say? I came to a point where I realized there was nothing to be gained by holding on to resentment for him not meeting my expectations. Once I arrived at adulthood, it was too late for him to do anything about it. So once he, once he says, once I forgave my dad, then I stopped looking for him to make things right in our past. It was then that I was able to form my identity and to no longer be afraid of being like him. And I was able to see the good in him alongside with the bad. See, so that's the thing is like you, you grow up, maybe you hate your parent, you hate your parent, uh, but you end up acting like them. So this guy said that he got married and then he ended up abusing his wife and he realized it was because he hadn't worked out his daddy issues. So there you go. All is not lost though. I, you know, I, sometimes I worry that when I read these articles or whatever, that people become discouraged, like, oh, I've got these things. Does this mean that I messed up? Does this mean that I can't have a normal life because I, you know, I had a shitty dad or I had a shitty mom, I had a shitty life? You know, absolutely not. No way. And I feel like, uh, gosh, if there's any lesson on this show, it's that I am a huge believer and advocate of choice. I think that's all we have is not all we have, but one of the biggest, the biggies is choice, freedom of choice. And you can absolutely choose uh, your life to be better and you can be stronger than your circumstances. And you are not your past. None of us are. That's bullshit. So don't, don't believe your nasty little mind telling you otherwise. Okay. Uh, Oh, I want to get into this one. This is really exciting. Okay. How much time do I have left? First of all, perfect. Okay. Oh, I got a letter from a lesbian. Very exciting. I love lesbians. They're my absolute favorite people. I just realized I was at the comedy store the other night and I was hanging out with all lesbians. And then I went downstairs and it was all gay dudes. (laughs) It's like, oh, a fun world. I love lesbians. They're like the master race lesbians, aren't they? Fantastic. All right. And gay dudes. Gay dudes really get it. I feel like gay dudes, I was talking to a gay dude friend of mine about this, how I, um, I recently had Botox. I did it for this wrinkle between my, my, um, eyebrows. Cause I've been scowling since I've been alive. And my stepmother used to warn me all the time. Don't scowl like this. You're going to get a wrinkle. You're going to get a wrinkle. And of course I got a big wrinkle. So I got Botox for it. And, uh, you know, what's so interesting was, is, I've only, I've done it once before and what it does is like it paralyzes the muscles in your forehead. So you can't make the expressions of scowling like you know, like I normally do. I'm usually so animated with my, my disdain for things. Uh, but now that I can't scowl, interestingly enough, it's affected my emotions. I swear to God, it's actually chilled me out a little bit because I can't be so reactive to things. And it's actually worked to mellow me out. It's so funny. And and that's why you see a lot of these, like um, like on Instagram, I love Instagram. There are these like um, models and they're, they look, they're so bored all the time, you know, like really attractive people. It's so cool to look bored in photos, which I can't fucking do. I, you know, someone puts a camera on me and I smile because I'm such a people pleaser. I can't, but uh, I realize all these models look so unaffected and bored because they can't move their face. And it really helps. And it actually does kind of help me uh, to calm me down. So I recommend Botox. If you're a scowler and you're always fired up, it might chill you down. Just, it chills me out just a, just a little bit. It takes the edge off. 
edge off those feelings that I don't like to have in the first place. <laughs> okay, so here's my darling lesbian letter. Um, okay, I know you're a big fan of marriage, she writes, and I have a strong feeling that I will be too. Good. I love marriage. I have not been married before, but I plan on proposing to my girlfriend very soon. Every time I think about what my life will be like with her as my wife, I get super amped. I love that. Our crazies just fit. And that's the key to a good marriage, by the way. It's making sure that your unconscious shit matches, that you guys have the right level of crazies that go together well. I would say values are very important. Religious background is important if that's something that you value. It's just way easier if you if you have children, you know. A little shit like, do you both believe in telling kids about Santa Claus? Because if one of you is like, that's lying, I'm not going to do it, then there's trouble when you have a kid. Uh, okay, so she writes, as a topic, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on traditional proposals, engagements, and weddings. As a lesbian, there are no rules, like buying a diamond ring, getting down on one knee, etc. All of these things seem so fucking rooted in patriarchal garbage that it's hard to find a balance between being romantic and not doing something that is the 2017 version of giving her father a goat. You hear? <laughs> Love lesbians. God damn it. Uh, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Speaking of... Um, Speaking of, uh, what was I talking about? Rigidity at the beginning of this episode, the idea of being stuck in, in ways and habits and things. We, we, you know, that's such an unconscious thing for so many straight women. The whole, uh, yes, I'm going to take his last name. Yes, of course I want a diamond ring. Yes, of course I want to have a big wedding. But uh, yes, yes, yes. He, and I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. It's absolutely not. Um, but those rites of passage, for those of you who don't know, are, yes, steeped in patriarchal, uh, actually it goes back to, Hey, feudalism. There you go. We're full circle. Um, to land ownership, believe it or not, land ownership and offspring. So men married women to create an heir, right. To his land, to have somebody to pass the shit down to, uh, but women, you know, can't really be trusted. Right. So we have to take the man's last name and we have to ensure male offspring. And, and that's how that started. <laughs> to merge land, to keep land and offspring, to make sure. I think that's one of the reasons. Any hoodles. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderfully creative and open thing that you can choose what you want to do, how you want to do it. Um, Okay. Your thoughts on traditional proposals, engagements, and weddings. My thoughts on traditional ones. Um, I didn't do too many traditional things. I, I'll tell you what though, I will tell you this is that, well, A, A, number one, anyone's going to tell, everybody says this shit, do what's right for you guys. And I know that sounds horribly unhelpful, but do what's right. What, what do you like? Don't, don't think about the tradition, then do what, do what you want to do and what makes sense for you two as a couple. Now for Tom and I, the thought of having a big wedding gave me and him so much anxiety um, and I didn't want to have 120 P I didn't want my wedding to be another show. Cause it's, you know, Tom and I are, are performers for a living. And the last thing I wanted was to give a performance on one of the most, you know, uh, meaningful days of my existence. <laughs> I couldn't want to fucking God, I just didn't want it to be a, a, a show. So we decided to have it far away, uh, in the Bahamas. It was a two plane ordeal. So if you wanted to come, and you really wanted to come. 
because it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't down the street. So we brought that guest list down to about 40 people who we really, really loved and, and wanted to be close to us. And those 40 people came who really mattered. And it was a week long party and it was arguably one of the best weeks of my life. Um, now the actual wedding day really overestimated. And I don't know if people tell you that enough, but you're so stressed out. You're so freaked out. It's like, it's more stressful because you're throwing this enormous party that I, I personally don't really, I didn't like the, the to-do of the actual wedding day. I like the memories of the people and I liked marrying my husband, obviously, but it's more stressful than anything. And I don't even know, do people really fuck on their wedding night? Like Tom and I were so tired. <laughs> we're not going to fuck. Um, but I will say this, um, traditional proposals. Okay. Ask somebody, I think we've talked about this on our show. I hope I'm not uh, betraying my husband here, but proposals are super important. And as much, I think is as untraditional a woman as I am, as people are to some people, that's like a moment that you're going to think about forever. And that's the moment that most women, um, you know, you think about, you're like, oh, what that, what is that going to be like? The the time I get proposed to, is he going to skywrite it? <laughs> is he going to uh, rent a horse? Are we going to ride off in the sunset? Is, he gonna, is it going to be on a beach? Is it going to be at the football game? Like you, you dream about your proposal day your whole life. So, I mean, I'd find out what's really important to your lady too. Is it the proposal? Is it the actual wedding? Is it the dress? Is it the cake? And then make those priorities. But, and I say this just because I felt as though, and I love my husband and God bless him, but my proposal was a little lackluster, okay? At the time we were living in the Rampart Division in a one-bedroom apartment, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and he just got down on one knee, and we were in our living room, like I had a robe on, I was going to shower, and uh, and he's like, come here for a minute. And I was like, I don't want to smell your fart because I knew that's what was going to happen is that I was going to, he's probably farted. And he goes, no, I didn't fart. And then he gets out of one. He's like, will you marry me? I'm like, motherfucker, that's my, <laughs> what? That was it? That I got to take a shower and I thought you farted on. And, and now, so now he's made it up to me like a million fold and we've had a great marriage and it's doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's important. So figure out what makes her tick and, and you know her better than anybody, hopefully. Find out what's important to her and, and just fucking do that. And by the way, I didn't have a big white cake. I had a chocolate cake because I like chocolate. Both of us like chocolate. We're like, why the fuck will we have a vanilla cake? I hate, I hate white frosting. I absolutely hate it. Okay, great. We had a black choir, <laughs> like a, a Bahamian choir. And, uh, you know, there was a glitter black Jesus on the wall at the, the church we got married in because it was in the Bahamas and it was awesome. And we did it our way and you should make it personal and you should make it the way you want it. Uh, cause it's your memories, right? And there are no rules. There are no rules. By the way, I don't like diamond rings. I don't, uh, I didn't get one. I, I had seen that documentary blood diamonds at the time. And I was like, do not buy me diamonds. Cause you know, it's all regulated by the De Beers company the one company regulates the price and it's very arbitrary. They're rocks from the ground and they're marked up. <clears throat> they're marked up like a hundred percent. It's a total racket, but you know, it's a necessary evil, necessary evil. Um, 
you're so blessed that you're both women. You can do whatever you want. Oh my gosh. I don't know. If you want to get down on one knee, get down on one knee. And here's the thing. I, the older I get too, uh, <clears throat> the less I, I, and I know these things are rooted in patriarchy, the one knee, the dad giving you away and all that, taking someone's last name. But then on the other hand, you're like, yeah, yeah. And then there's bigger fish to fry in the world. You know, like getting paid the same as dudes or reproductive rights. I don't know. And, and I understand like the, the personal is political, whatever. It is too, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, is your dad walking you down the aisle? Does it matter as much as who does the dishes at home or who takes care of the children or who buys the groceries or who takes care of the trash? Like all that stuff is the real shit that matters in a, in a relationship in behind closed doors the equality that exists there. So I don't know. People give me shit because they're like, your last name isn't Segura. Well, yeah, it kind of is legally. <laughs> it is legally. Uh, you know, publicly I'm Pajitsky just because I have been forever and I didn't, you know, I don't, I'm, Tom and I are not like a shucky ducky husband wife act. So it felt really lame to be like, Tom, she's here. And then people lump you together. It's silly. But, um, all right, I got, I do want. I kind of want to read this last one just because I was. It was. It was kind of, um, kind of. This marriage. There's a lot of fiance and marriage stuff floating in the air. And is that because of the holidays? I wonder, or because Valentine's Day is coming up? I don't know. <clears throat> okay, so this one says, "Dear Water Champ, thank you and Personality Champ." The only problem, okay, my fiance and I are getting married in February and I couldn't be happier with him. So this is a straight woman writing. The only problem I have right now is that I am in a grad school program that offers a week and a half study program abroad to Peru and Chile, Chile, or is it Chile, where we will do fun activities, meet company heads and do some charity work. Sounds awesome. This is one of the main reasons I picked the program I'm in and my fiance knows this. I found out the dates recently and we leave for the trip in a few days before his birthday, which is on a Saturday this year. He was upset about this and even claimed I never told him I would be gone for a week and a half, even though I remember telling him this. Now he says he doesn't want me to go because he's scared for my safety, even though I'll be with a a school group the whole time and because his birthday, which is understandable. I would be willing to put this off until the next summer session due to the fact that we will be newly married and our honeymoon will be this summer as well. However, I have a feeling when I bring this up in a year from now, he will argue again for me to not go, even though my biggest regret in undergrad was not doing a study abroad. Yes. And for those of you listening, watching fucking go abroad your junior year in undergrad, uh, do it, go anywhere, just anywhere, get the fuck out of the United States Go, 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 go. I guess my main question is I am independent and used to doing many things on my own. I am also a very passive person and easily do things for others to make them happy, which doesn't always help me. How do I deal with being in a marriage and compromising things? And how should I know when I shouldn't compromise? Do you have any advice on this situation specifically and maybe advice for how I can show him how truly important this is? I love him a lot and I know he loves me a lot, but I don't want to resolve a fight now and then have a comeback year, uh, years later because we only thought we resolved it because we, I don't understand. Okay. Anyway, sorry for that. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know you'll say, see a therapist. No, actually this one is, um, <laughs> pretty easy, <laughs> 
But yes, yeah, see a therapist. Everybody, first of all, I, as I say this in every episode, I am not qualified to answer anybody's life stuff. I am not a therapist. I'm a comedian who has a philosophy degree and who has a fucking PhD in life, motherfucker. All right. All I know is how to get my life. And I just tell you how to get your life a little bit. I don't have all the answers. This is just my life. Okay. So Chandler, uh, shit, is that your name? Okay. Yeah. Here's the deal. Your biggest regret in undergrad is that you did not study abroad. Now you're finally in this program and it's only a week and a half, by the way. Is this right? A week and a half. That's fucking it. You know, if you had written to me and you said, it's an entire semester, it's three, it's a year abroad. No, I'm sorry. Even a semester, not a big deal. Um, it's two years abroad in Chile and Peru and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, it's a week and a half. Tell him to pull up his fucking big boy panties and say goodbye to you for a week and a half. Because if this is something that's super important to you and, you've, and, and you have to convey this to him, I think maybe he's not really understanding the gravity of this experience for you. Because if he really loves you, hello, um, and, I, and if he really understood your position here, I think that he'd want you to go and be really super happy and come back and, and, and get your life, you know? So I don't know what's going on. And, and also, okay, it's his birthday. Jesus fucking Christ. Listen, you get birthdays 1 through 21, 25, then 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and every decade. Birthdays to adults don't fucking matter, dude. Like, I, it's so funny. My agent was like, do you want to do the punchline? It's going to, you know, you're going to have to work on your birthday. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm fucking a 40-year-old woman. I don't give a shit about my birthday. I don't give a fuck about Valentine's Day. I don't give a fuck about uh, Mother's Day, Father. I don't fucking care. None Because none of these shit, none of it's real. It's, it's all manufactured. Who cares? Okay? Who cares? He's, he's, let him be alone on his birthday. He's not going to, he shouldn't shrivel up and die for being away for a week and a half. I mean, shit, my husband's gone now for almost that long, all the time. And you have to learn how to deal with being apart if you're going to be married, especially. So I think the, uh, there are times to compromise. Now, if you had told me, I want to go to um, Afghanistan, I want to go to Kabul, and I, I want to uh, go uh, deactivate IEDs, I'd say, you know what, maybe you should compromise and maybe you shouldn't do that trip. But this is a, an organized thing uh, with your school. And Peru and Chile, I, I don't think are that dangerous. Sorry, is it? <laughs> I've been to Afghanistan. I think that's why. Or maybe my boundaries aren't good on what's considered safe and not. But uh, Peru, as far as I know, is, yeah, okay, sure. Maybe in uh, Lima can be hairy. Uh, but you know, like you're with people, you're fine, dude, you're fine. So in this situation there, I think there's something else going on. There's something doing here and you need to either, I don't know if you want to open that can of worms with him. Maybe he doesn't want to let you go for a week and a half. Maybe it is legitimately, uh, some great birthday celebration that he doesn't want you to miss out on. But I tell you what I would do if I were you. Okay. Explain to him the gravity, explain to him how much it matters. Sweetie, look. Here's what you say. Here's what you say. Boo-boo. No, here's what you do. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> you have to have sex with them first. Okay. You got to have sex. Always have sex first in marriage. Number one, I'm going to do the next episode on um, 
keeping your marriage tight, high and tight. The next episode is going to be getting your entire marriage life. Because I I have a feeling, a lot of emails I get that women are treating their husbands, boyfriends, those are straight relationships. I can't speak on any other kind because this is all I've had my whole life. A lot of women are treating their men, husbands, like girlfriends. And that's not how it fucking works. You you can't do that. You, You know, and people, when people say, oh, my husband is my best friend. <clears throat> no, he's not supposed to be your best friend. Your best friend is a woman, boo-boo. He's close to it. He's always going to be really close to being your, quote, best friend. But your best friend is your girlfriend who knew what scumbags you fucked in high school and in college and will take that shit to the grave for you. That's what's up. No, men are not your boob. They're not your best friends. They, they don't think like women. Women think so differently. I'm going to do a whole episode on this next week, by the way. Okay, next week. Get your life with, with men. Okay, so here's what you do, honey. Here's what you do, boo-boo. Here's how you're going to get your trip. Number one, you know what men love? Sex. Sex. And I know it sounds like a truism. It sounds trite. It's not just about horny. It's not just that. It's because... It's like you feel closer. You know, when you're in a relationship, especially long-term, you have to fuck. Fucking is the glue of the relationship. If you're not screwing, if you're not having sex, the relationship breaks down because you just turn into roommates who pay bills together and who take care of children together and have jobs or whatever. And it's boring and it's horrible. That's why sex is imperative. It is the glue. It is the... um, it's the warm and fuzzy. So it's going to bring you two together. It makes you more caring towards one another. It softens you to one another's needs and wishes. And I can tell when Tommy's grumpy, when he's agitated, it's because his balls are full of poison and we have to do it. And I'm telling you, once we do that, then it's like everything runs so much smoother. So <clears throat> you're going to get him. You're going to have a, a marital love with him. And during pillow talk, you're going to bring it up. You're going to say, boo-boo, look, I know your birthday's coming. And uh, I know we're going to get married. So we're going to have so many wonderful birthdays together. And I'm going to, you know, um, I promise to make it up to you next year. We're going to, I'll take you on a trip next year. I'll do whatever it is that he wants to do next year on this birthday. But for this birthday, I'm, I'm just, I really, really want to do this trip and you know, I regret, my biggest regret in life is that I didn't get to go as an undergrad. I didn't study abroad. And this is one of the biggest reasons I chose this program is because I get to go to Peru and Chile and do all this fun stuff. And I feel like I'd really be missing out. And I think it will really make me sad. And I think it's going to really affect me if I don't get to do this week and a half trip. And I don't feel like week and a half is so, so long to be away from you. And I really wish you would understand that. And I guarantee it because men, the way it works is that in a marriage, at least, is that if you're happy, he's happy, right? You know, that whole, that stupid, happy life, happy wife, happy life, horse shit. It's because it's kind of true because men like if they, if they are good men, if they're sweet and they're loving, which my husband is, he doesn't want to see me bummed out. He doesn't want to see me depressed, angry, full of anxiety. These things make him unhappy. And the happier you are, the happier he's going to be and, and the, everything works better, right? So if you can frame it that way, and I, I hope that that will soften him to what it is you need to do. And that's fucking a week and a half. Get your life. Um, but compromise comes in a marriage on other stuff. 
and usually, you know, you feel your way around that on those issues. It's hard to uh, to be kind of broad on that one, but uh, I don't know. I, Tom and I are usually on the same page about stuff most of the time. You know, you make sacrifice. Like right now, okay, so he's gone about about a week. My husband's gone like a whole week, and it's kind of rare these days. But the compromise being like, okay, we have hired uh, a nanny who's going to come help me for this time that he's away. And uh, he's helping the family. He's bringing home money that's going to help everybody and, you know, solidify my kid's future, our future. So that, you know, there's a compromise there. It sucks for me to be alone here. I don't always enjoy it. But, uh, hey, life is imperfect. Life is always navigating. And I don't think you're asking for too much here, boo-boo. I don't think so at all. I remember, I remember when I, I wanted to go to Afghanistan, my cousin, who's pretty traditional, um, I go, I go, I'm going to Afghanistan. She goes, what? Your husband's going to let you? (laughs) Oh, sweetie. Your husband's going to let you? Yeah. He did. He let, he let me. My husband let me guys. My husband let me go to Afghanistan. He let me uh, tour the world as a stand-up comedian. He, he still lets me. He lets me go to the bank. He lets me have my own credit card, my own bank accounts. Um, no, actually, no, we merged. But he, you know, he lets me uh, go to the grocery store. <laughs> he lets me drive. <laughs> of course, I'm being facetious. Uh, it's not really about that, is it? It's just about making sure you guys both have your needs met. And it sounds like you need to have yours met. That's a need. That is a fucking need. It's not, Yeah. That's not negotiable. Maybe he's, is he jealous? Is he afraid you're going to meet some sweet Peruvian hunk over there? Oh, I forgot to play my, my intro. Here's the intro to the mail segment. You want to know why you're all fucked up? That's it. That's all it is. I don't, I don't want a song. All I want is Dan Pena saying that. Okay. All right, guys, that's it. That's all for the big show today. Thank you for emailing me. Um, go ahead and email me at that's deep bro podcast at gmail.com that's deep bro podcast at gmail.com check out the spotify playlist on your it's called your mom's podcast that's the uh, profile name oh Fief just woke up he's so cute he's licking the air he's sleeping on my pillow i put a pillow in here to take naps you like my pillow buddy you little shit you think that's your pillow it's not your pillow fucking dog all right guys uh all right until then have a double plus good week and um yeah it's been deep bro see you next time now what i don't know philosophize with philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.